This is not going to be the last one of the year, so we don't need to say this is the last no, one of the year. No, 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 no. We are just in... Don't be such a completist. No, I would never be a... Right? I haven't heard that one, a completist. One who likes to one see things complete, One who likes to see things complete. But there's like a sort of elitism to it. Like, hey, man, you're being really completist right now. You've totally embraced how much you look down on the lower strata that, of society. That would be like, yeah, that'd be like if you were in high school and your mom was like, you got to clean your room. Be like, mom? Honestly, you're sounding really completist right now. This explains why you got kicked out of your house so many times. <laughs> I know, no. I, there was always a place for me. <laughs> there was always <laughs> there a was place. <laughs> yeah. In the basement. Completist. One who wants to see things done. That's us. It's like completism. It's kind of a less ambitious futurism. We just want to see yeah, what we've set right. out to do yeah. currently done. Right. That's us. No bandwidth for tomorrow. Yeah. That's very, in a way, inspiring. Kind of zen. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. It's weird to have, I mean, obviously the past several years have been dominated by a number of different things let's let's just say broadly uh one of them is certainly illness i don't think anybody's ever gonna look at illness the same and it's weird too because if you think about like viruses or bacterial infections or something there's things that kind of get into your body like we've normalized it so much with weird names like the flu and yada yada but it's like kind of gross and creepy if you think about it it's just like a foreign body that's like entering through your nose that's how we know covid happened that's how a lot of these respiratory things happen this sounds to me, Stephen, if I might proffer a suggestion. Okay. Like you're about to segue into the theme of the show today, into our first story, which is a good time for me to say that this is Journos, Stephen. Yep. And I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. And you're Stephen Jackson. One thing we like to do on the show is to take the dumbest story we can find and the smartest story we can find. And then, Stephen, you know what? We find out they're not that different after all. You know, ain't that the truth? What we like to do here is like we, we, we like to make a, a dumb story smart and a smart story dumb. A lot of resonances. So when last we left our heroes, you were saying something about someone's nose yeah. and the things that get into it. Brandon, I feel like you have a story for me. I guess I do. <laughs> a wry little <laughs> smile. That was mischievous. <laughs> there are always stories afloat where something unpleasant has happened to a person. Obviously, there's the... High-level version of that, war, famine, mm -hmm. disease. Yep. And then there's the other side. The cheekier side. The cheekier side. This is a particular subspecies where it's what the hell has gotten into somebody's body this time. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's the story of a man, okay. Stephen, yeah. who got chopsticks oh, no. in his nose. <sighs> now you say, "How?" Well, that's not that big of a deal. It's I a mean, huge... You're so, well, it's your yeah, nose is close to your mouth. Yeah, but the chopsticks are, are huge. Yeah, well, this story would belie any sense of logic, <laughs> which is so crazy about it. I'll cut to the chase and say it was covered by a lot of outlets, okay. but mostly like the New York Post and the Daily Sun and mm -hmm. weird riffs like the Fiji Sun, which is, I think, just the UK Daily Sun. Yeah. And the reason that it was covered so much in Asian media is because it was a story that took place in Vietnam. A 35-year-old man goes to the hospital, says he's got headaches, 
got weird leakage coming out of his nose. Okay. He's having fainting spells and some problems with his vision. The doctor said, well, we better check you out. They do a scan and they find out he's got chopsticks in his brain, Stephen. Jesus. Yeah, inside of his brain. How? You've got to see these images. The brain scan images are extraordinary because you know what they look like? Oh, when Homer got the crayon stuck in his head? Yeah, but also, and more relevantly, like somebody who's got chopsticks in their brain. <laughs> they look exactly like that. It's a skull with chopsticks. It's crazy. Not I full know. chopsticks, but the better part of chopsticks. It's it's insane <clears throat> that, they, that that could happen because it also has this, like, do you remember when you're a kid and you first learned about, like, mummies? That was a whole thing that you learn. <laughs> it's like how they... Oh, yeah. That was yeah. like a visceral, weird part of the curriculum mm-hmm. that seems to yeah. be universal. And it seems that they want to hit you with this information in like third grade. But they're like, yeah. they used to take out the brains of the mummies when they were being mummified. Well, I guess you didn't start as a mummy. You know what I'm saying? They would take out the yeah. brains of the, of the subjects of mummification via this unique little process where they'd stick essentially a metal, a chopstick up the deceased's nose swirl it around, make brain soup, and then it comes down the nose. And again, this is something that I felt like I learned in third grade, which seems a bit young. Yeah, that does seem like, do you need to know how mummies are made before you need to know how many states there are in the United States? Or like, what are taxes? Or like, or or like, there's so many like- (laughs) Teach it a third grade. Yeah, or not, just the idea that like, you should always spend less than you earn. You know, oh, basic sure. principles yeah. like basic that. Basic economics. Yeah. That would yeah. help. Not like, what hey, this apples? is how we made mummy brain soup. Now <laughs> make it, make your own sarcophagus with paper mache. And that's October. And that was October. It reminds me, they, they described him as hooks, sort of like knitting needles. Yeah. So kind of like chopsticks with a little hook on the end. And then the swirling, I always, <laughs> and unfortunately, imagined the way they make cotton candy. They swirl <laughs> the thing around and <laughs> gathers around it. And you yank it out. I think it was more like pulling spaghetti out because the brain. I think you jab like, it up. I don't know. I think you. It's like. Oh yeah. I think you do some jabbing. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it's a. It's a. You didn't learn much in third grade, Stephen. Is what it sounds su- like to me. It's a surprising amount of detail for a process so archaic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were fairly sophisticated. I mean, you know, the person didn't have to survive the procedure, so it's really just about. By, by definition, keep... they 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 wouldn't. They were. I mean, hopefully. Oh. Unless you did, you pissed off the wrong pharaoh or something. The Vietnamese guy <laughs> was diagnosed with something called pneumocephalus. Okay. They said, you've got some kind of swelling in your brain. Let's see what it is. Well, it turns out they do the scan. They find out that these chopsticks are in his brain and, that mm. are, and they're creating a, a buildup of fluid. So it's okay. potentially life-threatening, but rare because obviously it's very hard. So they dig around in there and they pull out chopsticks. The obvious question a doctor would ask is... How? Yeah. And he says, in effect, I have no idea. <laughs> and they say, I think you should have some idea how you got chopsticks yeah. in your brain. Yeah. And the man thinks, and he says, oh, now something's coming back to me. Yeah. Five months ago, I was having a lot to drink mm-hmm. and got into a fight. And I vaguely remember somebody stabbing me in the nose with something. Yep, that was it. But in the heat of passion, yeah. I didn't know. Went to bed. No, he goes to a doctor. Oh, he went to the doctor. After they the didn't fight. find it. Yeah. And the doctor didn't find it. So then he goes to bed. 
So there's three takeaways from this that I can see off the top of my head. One, how much do you have to drink to not know you've gotten stabbed in the brain with chopsticks? You got to get chopsticks in the brain drunk. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Two, how do you get chopsticks lodged in the brain? Uh, The mummy style. Mummy style. And three, how did that doctor not find those chopsticks on that first inspection? Took a whole CAT scan. You have to turn the right way. Yeah, I guess so. You have to be pretty out of sync with your body to not suspect that something could be wrong for that many months. Again, I cannot clarify enough that yeah. in the scan, it's mm-hmm. pretty clearly two chopsticks yeah. lodged in this guy's skull behind his nose, yeah. between his eyes, and into his brain. Yeah. Two chopsticks. And then you're just like, oh, it's man. It's not I'm- just one. Oh, shucks. I've been thrown up every day for the past three months. I should check something out. So all of this aside, I hope the band has found peace. But like, this is also, (laughs) this is also certainly a a species of story, right? Like, if you really survey the news media, you'll notice that there, uh, there's quite a bit of variation between the gravity of stories, to say the least, right? You have things that are reporting, you have the, the news media doing what it's supposed to do is to inform citizens of the world of the things that happen around them so they can have a better perspective on their lives and the lives of others. And then on the other end of it, there's like, hey, this dude got in a bar fight. Now he's got chopsticks in his brain. You threw up a bunch. Well, anyways, that happened about 6,000 miles away. Now check out this ad or something. Now that you're here, have you thought about buying an air fryer or whatever? This species, as as we like to call it on this show, uh, of story is quite pervasive, right? It's really just the swirling of the hook in the brain of the news media. We're just sort of gathering, you know, yep. cotton candy of yep. weird stories about people who got stuff stuck and, inside of them. And then the podcast is the nose. And then a story that was very closely associated with the chopstick story was a guy in Missouri getting a routine colonoscopy, Stephen. You got to yep. do it at a certain age. Everybody's yep, got to do, do it. it. You know, there's increased rates of colorectal cancer. Yeah. yeah. In this guy's case, it wasn't necessarily cancer uh, he needed to be concerned with. No, it was a intact fly that doctors found. <laughs> intact fly, uh, which we don't need to spend a lot of time. That's pretty much the story, except for, again, there were a number of riffs on it. And the story in a publication called Complex, which used to have a print thing and now I think it's entirely online, the story is ostensibly about the chopsticks guy, but then at the end it segues into, and you always know that, This is going to be a bad sign when a paragraph begins in other stories of foreign objects where they shouldn't be. And then you get to hear about this guy with the fly that ends with speculation from the doc about how the fly got in there. Mm. Since it wasn't dissolved, it probably didn't go through the stomach. And therefore, says the doctor, quote, if from the bottom an opening must have been created long enough for the fly to fly undetected into the colon and somehow make its way to the middle part of the colon, with no light and a very curvy large intestine. Yeah. End quote. Sounds to me, Stephen, like a true crime podcast if I ever heard one. Yeah. And we'll just let uh, everybody kind of sit with that information for a little bit. Not to spend too much more time in this horrific sort of neighborhood of the show, but uh, Newsweek also ran a a listicle a while back uh, that was essentially a survey of things that doctors have found inside of people. Uh, one doctor said that he has a collection of uh, 
accidentally or voluntarily ingested foreign bodies that include fish bones, meat bones, pins, safety pins, razor blades, glass, knives, forks, spoons, lighters, buttons, batteries, toothpicks, dentistry, drugs swallowed with package, and so many others. So anyways, there's a lot of funky stuff that can end up intact inside the body. And of course, this man with the chopsticks lodged way up, um, you know, mummy style, just as sort of stepping in line as the next in that proud tradition. Yeah, and uh, included in that story is an interesting little tidbit that uh, surgeons collect these as trophies. Mm. So you can imagine what they've got behind lock and key, yeah. including a lot of things that men, apparently between 66 and 85% of people who show up in the emergency room with things lodged in their rear ends uh, are men, mm. which may or may not surprise you. Including a deodorant can, which apparently represents a fire hazard during surgical removal, and, quote, probably most eye-watering is a whole coconut. Whole coconut, Stephen. Really makes you think. I don't know if it does. (laughs) So you get away from the sort of nasty bits uh, of this type of story, and you, you have to start thinking about why these stories are being published. They're fun and weird and like, you know, weird facts. It's There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But you have to think about it through the lens of which stories are prioritized and which stories get run and which stories don't, right? And so in between the biggest stories in the world and the chopstick stories is a, is a lot of different content. So why why does the chopstick story beat out any number of other very worthy, serious stories. Well, it's because the top six story is going to bring you in, in the door to the newspaper, right? That or the or the online publication. It's going to make you click. Yeah. And then you get there. And then because of that higher click rate, you can hopefully sell more advertisements and keep the lights on at your publication. It's a tale as old as time. There are a lot of different ways that journalism is changing and hoping to find its place in this new world and figure out different revenue models. But these dumb stories are what keep huge numbers of people coming in through the door. Honestly, that's that's basically why they are published, okay? Sure. Now, yeah, it's now, the idea of someone on a street corner yelling the craziest thing you've ever heard. You're like, I want to see what else they got. Yeah. Or you'll turn away. You know. So the, the interesting thing is that this is its model that has sort of worked, but is definitely offering diminishing returns. And when you look at, for example, CNN publishes its top stories every year, the top 100 digital stories, and when you look down those, for example, for 2022, it's not a bunch of weird stuff about people with stuff in their brain. The top stories are about Ukraine and politics. It's all relevant stories. And then maybe down near the bottom, you have something dumb. So clearly people are actually engaging in things that are really important. But these other stories exist and I think, Stephen, as we're talking about it, I'm beginning to think that the chopstick story, the fly story, are kind of an endangered species. But now, Brandon, what if mm-hmm. those stories yes. just stop being written by people altogether? Yeah. Of course, people, I am talking about the new set of chopsticks lodged in all of our brains, and that is AI, chat GPT, large language models. It's kind of the defining story of 2023. However, there's a little bit of interesting data to kind of back up the extent to which that it's still a little bit of a hype. So weird piece of data that I found in this NBC News article about the mention of AI during 
like earnings calls for big firms and corporations, right? It skyrocketed in the quarters immediately following the introduction of ChatGPT, like out of nowhere, blew up. Okay. So the picture that's being painted um, is that everybody on all the earnings calls is talking about AI and how AI is going to do this and AI is going to do this. And, and, and everybody kind of has to talk about it in this investor speak. But when you actually compare this to uh, a Census Bureau survey of about 200,000 businesses in which they were asked the extent to which they are currently using AI, the numbers are still really small. Okay, so according to the survey, nationally, just 4.4% of businesses reported that they used artificial intelligence to produce any goods or services in the past two weeks. And in just 6.9% of these businesses said they plan to use it in the next six months. Okay. So what does that tell us? So you have to read this all with a grain of salt. There are certain areas of the economy and of business that are already using ChatGPT and AI and all of the different sort of iterations of these models in a major way. But in the way that, that this kind of sky is falling narrative would have you believe it's not really the case that suddenly AI has taken all the jobs, nor is it necessarily yeah. going to happen in the, in the immediate near future. Yeah. Looking at what's going on in journalism or at media in general is a pretty good sense of, I think, where our heads are at. Nobody knows what's really going to happen. It may change things radically. Probably it will. Certainly it's like things that come before where like people's jobs are going to change or vanish or whatever. But you really see this kind of sandbox effect where people are playing around in the space, mm -hmm. doing some things that are very dumb and then doing some things that are trying to optimize, you know, what journalists and editors and, and creators and content producers can do. Yeah. I found a couple of sort of these lamer uses of AI, but also I have kind of a, 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 a like, I'm on the fence about how lame it is. Let me put it that way. So in, in case you missed it, uh, the folks over at Futurism, they did some great investigative reporting in which they found that Sports Illustrated was running articles written by AI and not disclosing it. And then include going so far as to have like AI generated images that have these like really insane, like clearly like written by an alien wearing a skin suit uh, bios of these writers. And they, one of the ways that they broke the story is that they actually found one of the AI generated images on a online marketplace where you can purchase these. So Sports Illustrated got egg all over their face. They walked it back. They blamed it on a third party. They did all this stuff, but then they still, after this futurism piece, they, all of the sort of articles in question were removed. Okay. So it, was, a lot it was proven that that was for sure a, a bunch of AI written stuff because Sports Illustrated came back and they're like, no, no, it's something else, right? Yeah. I think that's a good thing to point out. I mean, I think if you read the piece in its entirety, which we'll link to in, in the description, it's pretty clear that that's what happened. And of course, Sports Illustrated can come back like they would be expected to and, and, and just flat out deny it. But there are other instances of the firm that owns Sports Illustrated and runs several other publications of them sort of sloppily using AI too, right? And I think where my mixed feelings about this come in is like this content was product reviews, right? It was kind of shitty affiliate marketing bullshit journalism anyways, right? So maybe there's this stuff that media right now needs to run to keep the lights on, like affiliate marketing content or, or, or chopstick nose content or whatever. And like, who, <laughs> and like, it's an important maybe, vertical. It's an important Yeah, that's, vertical. yeah, exactly. You're on the chopstick nose beat. 
you're you're new here. But like I think that start somewhere. Gotta start somewhere. Nowhere to go but up. Said the chopstick. Said the chopstick. This might be an unpopular opinion from a, a person who is fancies himself a writer and who, you know, is is running this journalism. And a popular guy. And a popular, fun kind of guy, but it's an unpopular opinion that says, hey, maybe who gives a shit if the robots write this type of dribble content anyways? What are we so up in arms about? I think overall, the idea is people have gotten used to there being crap out there. That mm-hmm. is something you pass by on your way to something more interesting or you stop at it or whatever. It's all about, and this I think dominates the conversation right now, it's all about the transparency. Yeah. People oh, want to yeah. know Disclosure. that something's written by a robot. Now, I think that is probably something that's more of a passing sensation. I don't think in five years people are going to be as worried about whether the mm. robots are writing it or not. And that will obviously depend on if in the next 12 months and beyond, the robots are employed to destroy democracy in some yeah. way. You know, like, But if we're still all kicking around, we should be fine. And people be like, oh, I know this is generated. Or it's, you know, it's just that's the stuff out there. The, the, the lanes are set up where you know if you're reading something here, that's robots. Yeah. You know if you're reading something here, it's humans. And you know if you're reading something here, here's how the robots play in to help the humans. Totally. So to further clarify the aforementioned unpopular opinion, like, I don't think it matters maybe if a robot writes the product review content. Heck, maybe a robot can do it better than a 23-year-old just out of Wesleyan, right, who needs to get this, his foot in the door advice. But to be clear, a robot should not be writing that type of content that matters. I think we do have to keep an eye on the extent to which the robots could write, you know, sort of misinformation and then use sort of algorithmic understanding of social media to like execute these crazy disinformation and misinformation campaigns. I think that's bad. And I think that's one of the big problems about talking about AI is that there's like the technocratic elite or just people who generally have that sort of mindset that's like, hey, AI is the next big thing. It's going to make life better, right? Certainly the top tech companies in the world believe that. And there's a whole lot of people who do believe that too. And then there's this other sort of school of thought that if you're part of like the real revolution and the creative class and all this stuff you have to be like ai is is dangerous and it's coming for our jobs and our children and our in the blood in our veins as a creative as a creator as a writer i don't feel that same degree of sort of black and white disdain for it currently because i think that we have to be able to bend our minds around the nuance that this tool truly is yeah just to back up a little bit what you're talking about sort of represents the two schools of thought around AI in as much as there are schools of thought. Most mm. people, I think, are like, I don't know, it's this thing that you can like plug in and have it pull up recipes where instead of an eggplant, it says, you know, an engine block or something. Like, it's not always right. <laughs> but there are kind of the two modes that break down kind of like this. One is what's called an accelerationist, which says, when you're talking about artificial general intelligence, what we think of as like a really super intelligent being t2 skynet yeah right accelerationists are like that's going to usher in such an amazing era of human progress and advancement it's going to solve all of our problems why wouldn't we get there as soon as possible we absolutely want to so those are accelerationists the others are decelerationists they're saying well we need to really take our time go slow make sure we're not hurtling toward extinction and so you kind of have these two schools of thought where did the where did those completists that you were talking about earlier fall in here that's right 
That's right. Where do the completists fall in there? I guess if the accelerationists are accelerating us toward our demise, that's one kind of completion. <laughs> that's and, a complete art. And the others are more like the the decelerationists are more like edgers. Uh. They're more into the edging <laughs> of it all. Well, actually, the large language model, by some accounts, would be considered to be a completionist in that that you know the sort of nuts and the bolts of how the large language model powered AI tools work is that, you know, it's, it's essentially crunching an unimaginable amount of data in order to complete the next word in a given sentence based on this like mm. really crazy sort of, uh, I don't even want to say it's probability, but uh, through this crazy process um, that, that makes it look again and appear to be intelligent, which I think is really important to point out is that we are not close to AGI right now. Depends on who you ask. Some people will say we're closer than others. Yeah, I mean, we're closer now than we were even in October 2022, I think. But I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up is like, there is still a little bit of like a magic trick element that the current AI tools are are engaged in. When these articles are being written or the recipes are being found, it's the illusion of intelligence that's occurring, right? It's not actual intelligence as we define it. Yeah, you have been playing with it a lot and sending me updates yeah. on the kind of stuff you're doing. And I think even in that rudimentary phase, it's like, oh, yeah, there's so much of what we do that doesn't require a lot of high-level processing. It's sort of like summaries and these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think... When you're looking at the models for journalism that are coming out now, right? Like journalism has been in this crazy flux where, you know, the financial model has collapsed and only some of the biggest players like the New York Times are afloat. And that's in part because they have games mm -hmm. and recipes yeah. and they have all these other things. But also they did really well pivoting into digital. They have The Daily, which is a very popular podcast. They have all these different financial things. And when Trump was president, they got a boost there because everybody was tuning in. Same with Washington Post, CNN, and all these guys. Now, after Trump was out of office, you saw dips in all of those guys. Everybody lost listeners, lost readers, except for the New York Times, which continues to climb. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. There was a big, there was a big like drop-off of, of people because people oh, yeah. were like, oh, democracy is safe for now, so we don't need like this like lifeline reporting on the fascist or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the great irony was that Trump was really good for journalism and that they played the game that he wanted. They would write about him and it didn't matter what they said. The idea was that you would give him a platform mm -hmm. and it benefited the outlets because people would come and pay attention to get outraged or whatever, which is, by the way, the model that social media uses. That's why people stay on Twitter or yeah. Facebook or whatever is because it's optimized for making people mad, disgusted or whatever. But so... After he was out of office, yeah, everybody saw these huge dips, up to and including Fox News. They lost a bunch of, but like CNN, really bad. Uh, Washington Post still hasn't quite recovered. So weirdly, there's an incentive for everybody in the media to have Trump come back because it'll be good for him. Two things to take away from the podcast today is that just plagiarize away with ChatGPT and... Let's go Trump, right? Is that what we want people to listen? To? Like, yeah. if anything, yeah. I mean, if you learn nothing else, right? Yeah, might as well get on the Trump bandwagon now. <laughs> call it what it is. Um, the model in general has been, there's a couple of big players. Yep. A lot of the local publications are collapsing. So there's these news deserts. And then you have a lot of journalists who are going kind of more independent through Substack. 
and podcasts like us and all of these different small, more intimate things, which is what a younger generation is really responding to is they want to have relationships with their journalists. Mm -hmm. That's why you see TikTok, something like a third of people below, I think, 25 or something oh, yeah. get their news on TikTok. So there's a big thing there. All of which is to say everybody's looking for this new model and AI might offer a solution there because AI can do a lot of these things. And so you see these models come out that ostensibly may offer a vision of like what the future of journalism is going to be. There's these startups, right? Okay. They're mostly in startup phase. One's called Artifact. One's called Capsule. It's a new French one. One's called Newsroom. And basically what they do is if they're aggregating the news from different sources, there's an AI involved that works with the user of the app to okay. figure out how they want the news, what they want. Here's a description from the Reuters Institute, which studies digital journalism, about this app called Newsroom, quote, which uses AI to automatically identify and write summaries of the top news stories of the day, as well as summarizing background context and providing links to related stories that are clustered by political perspectives. Although AI does the heavy lifting, all copy is checked and, if necessary, modified by a journalist. Interesting. So when it spits you back out the stories, is it pointing you in the direction of like pieces from around the world that are from vetted publications or it is AI reading all of these pieces in a matter of seconds? It reads like, you know, like a hundred articles in a few seconds and then gives you new copy written by the AI in like sort of this real time yeah. interplay. It's kind of that. So, it, you know, it can be sort of the front page to a lot of other news. You could click through to the main outlets, right? You could click through to see what the Washington Post version is, or you could just read it all on the app. Yeah. So it could give you that, or, or, or and I'm imagining too, or it can be, you know, text to voice read to you like her, you know, you don't have to read it, right? If I wanted somebody to sort of say it to me in a soothing voice, is that possible with this? Yeah. The Artifact app, for example, says, quote, offers article consumption as summaries, simplified text, emoji stories, poems, or as audio readings by celebrities. Yeah. So for me personally, if I have to listen to some really like scary or sad news, I want it read to me by Angela Lansbury's character in Beauty and the Beast, that delightful little tea kettle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes it go down a little easier. Yeah. yeah. Now she's dead, so you'd have to go through the estate. You know what? We have AI. Her. We have enough recordings of her. I guarantee you. <laughs> That's right. The fact that you're dead is like the least of anyone's worries now in the in the yeah. AI world. I could get your thoughts. I could get your opinions on new events by reading your social media. Taylor's oldest time. And that's something that everybody's kind of talking about these days too. It's like some of us are old enough to remember the Cambridge Analytica thing. <clears throat> I say tongue-in-cheek because it was like five years ago six years ago i mean everything blew up everything we thought we knew was shattered when when that whole like social media has all your data and like is making all these crazy decisions about advertising because of all the data it collected from you that no one ever knew so honestly i'm not as concerned with this sort of maximalist view that like all of this is going to lead to the mech warriors like enslaving us and harvesting our organs for fuel and stuff like that. This like crazy, oh, AGI is going to destroy us all thing. I'm not so much worried about that. I'm much more worried about the local and immediate problems of how our data is being fed into AI and the sovereignty of that. It forces us to be a bit more intentional about what we're putting in into the models. I think it took us a long time to realize that data was this thing that was not only valuable, 
but also sort of significant to who we are. Like, oh, we have these digital selves and people can figure out all this stuff about us that we didn't know. I mean, that started way back with the early days of Google and Facebook. We had all this, what was called data exhaust, which we talked about before. And now I think we're seeing a, a new version of like, well, we want transparency into where the training data is coming from, mm-hmm. where the data is going into. Like if you're working with your personal AI journalist on your app and you're asking it, you know, what's the latest in Israel and Palestine? And it tells you this and that, or, you know, how should I think about this attack? Or, you know, what's the history of it? You know, all of these questions that will be seminal to you developing an opinion an informed opinion, hopefully, about whatever issue, climate change or local news or whatever thing it is, it all depends on the fact that you trust the information that it's pulling from. And that whole system is going to break down if there's no one producing that information, right? So you need to have people who are able to do that and they need to be paid for. And so part of the reason you have these lawsuits now from people like Sarah Silverman and visual artists, we haven't even really talked about the visual art side, but visual artists and so on who are saying all of this training data is pulling from us directly mm-hmm. and we should be compensated for it. So that's going to be one of the big conversations. Yep. Is there a way to make that stuff worthwhile where I can go report a story and it gets fed into some system, but I'm still getting paid for it, even if some AI is doing it in the voice of Huey Lewis <laughs> and possibly <laughs> the news. Yeah. Huey Lewis is the news. Huey Lewis is, is the news. The news is the case. news is this yeah. one. So if anybody's interested, we did do an episode on AI and visual artists with political cartoonist Ted Rawl. Go back. We'll leave a little link in the, oh, yeah, we got a link to that. In the description to that. But you bring up this cool point, too, because, all right, let's go back, way back to the chopstick story. Okay? So with the chopstick story, our thesis is that stories like the chopstick story, stories like the product reviews and everything that have high SEO value, et cetera, help keep the lights on because they are bringing people in, right? And then again, the hope is that you'll go on and read about the election or whatever. So if you have this thing where AI is presenting you news in a way that you want it to, the reader is pouring all of their own bias into their reception of the news. And then also it would be in the news company's vested interest to just feed people things that sort of fill their own echo chamber. And this, I think, is something that we talk a lot about on the show and is kind of one of our own high-minded intentions of this show is to talk about and help to teach media literacy and how to be a discerning and active participant in the news, right? And how to connect stories between one another and see these underlying themes between things that might not be readily apparent, right? So, Maybe it's like with more media literacy and AI literacy and instruction of the responsible use of this technology and policy at the government level that helps to guide the responsible use of this this technology, things like this news aggregator, essentially, that you're talking about, then are valuable, but can still be meaningful and do some of the originally intended work of journalism. And there's other things beyond just the idea of aggregating. There's also AI that can look at, you know, you've done a lot of research, you know, you have tons of pages of government documents. You can have an AI sift through all that, which would have taken a human weeks or months and give you the thing you're looking for. 
that would free up the budget yeah. of the publication too to say, you know, we can actually maybe now pay and fund journalism that the the meat puppet has to go out and actually do. I'm never going to stop calling right, it. I'm puppet. never going to stop saying meat puppet. I saw your face. Which is to say human people. Well, you know, because that's what's so crazy too, is like when you start to do any research on AI and AI stories, kind of like what we did for the show today, the idea of like objectively saying human written or this was humanized, it's again, something that if you were to have read that in the 90s, even you'd be like, yeah. whoa, what are you guys up? What did you do? Why do we have to identify something as human written? The person would yeah. say in their like neon glasses. Drinking an orange Gina. <laughs> and there's Spuds McKenzie tank top. Yeah, and there's Spuds McKenzie. Orange Gina, remember? That was that was like a, a weird little Orange Gina's still out there. I know, but I that was like that was like the that that was the nineties in a bottle. It'll come back. Like anything else, it'll come back. If the smartest computer that's ever been invented wants to take a crack at giving me the best possible options for vacuum cleaners, great. And just disclose right. that. Yeah, I mean, something that's doing the dumb work, the grunt work, if people want that, you know. But yeah. I think it'll also be more interactive. So you may not necessarily have a story that you read start to finish, you know. Mm. There may be some other version of it where it's like somebody writes one story. That's the original story. But then yeah. you can have it presented to you in one of 20 different forms yeah. up to and including you know, the Shakespearean poetry version of it. Yeah. Which, oh my God. You know, you as a journalist maybe be like, oh, that's not the worst thing. It'll be like an interactive podcast. Who's Angela Lansbury now? <laughs> <laughs> I think if we come away with what are the, at least some of the concepts to keep in mind as this stuff develops in the next few months, Certainly in the next 12 months, a lot of these things are going to be ramped up because we are in an election year. Mm -hmm. We know that this stuff is going to be deployed by all sorts of parties for yeah. misinformation. We've heard about deep fakes and all of these kind of things. We'll mm -hmm. see how that comes to pass because people are going to be the most incentivized now to deploy that stuff. Yeah. So when you're thinking about how do I conceptualize these things, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. One is transparency. In other words, where is this story or whatever coming from? Is it coming from a person? Is it coming from a machine? Disclosure. Yeah. yeah. The second is who is behind this model and what is their financial interest? Is it something that's venture funded? Is it something that's a nonprofit? Is yeah. Microsoft behind it? Is it Elon Musk? You know, whatever it is, you want to know what the intentions of the person are. And then the third is, is there a financial model that benefits creators. Because if it's something that's just going to vacuum up everybody else's work and then present it as its own and not share any of it, then we're going to be in a similar place as we were with Google and Facebook, where mm -hmm. they have 97 or 98% of the revenue existing on the internet. And all of these publishers are scrambling for the scraps, have to stick the chopstick stories out there to, that, to just to earn a buck. They need to keep the lights on. They need to pay the water bill. Youngest guy in the office, the last hire, lunchtime. We got to go out and make some news of our own. You know what I'm saying? Got to make the news, <laughs> baby. All right. To get these chopsticks. This is what the internship is all about, bud. Yeah. The future, in a weird way, if things go wrong, will look a lot like the past. Look at that. Mummies, Steve. I'm talking mummies. about mummies. You're talking it's about the mummies. Like got mummies. it. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, this has been Jernos. Yep. 
I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Oh, by the way, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, come on. Right now we're still using email. So email us at journos at journos.net. Or check us out on Instagram or TikTok or wherever your social media is sold. Stephen, what's our handle? Oh, we are Journos Pod on all uh well, on those two on those two platforms. Those two platforms. Yep. And also obviously you get journals wherever you get your podcast. So see you out they've there. Already, they've done that. They've yeah. done that. They've yeah. done that. Okay. Hopefully they know what that okay. so we have to clarify these things. That's what uh, transparency is all about. That's what we're doing. We're disclosing. All right. <laughs> <It's> <laughs>